you're a fool. How do you like being called that? What would you feel if coworker or spouse or parent or child gave you that label? You'd feel offended. You should. I don't believe you want to be called a fool. Even more so, or more importantly, you don't want to be accurately described as a fool. This is a very cheer and hope for a fool. And it sounds kind of like a dark comedy or a Stephen King novel. But it will bring, it will bring cheer. It will bring great hope when there's first conviction in our hearts. The fool in the Bible, and is described many times and with different Hebrew words in the Old Testament, is not merely the description of just a stupid dunce or a airhead. The fool in the Bible is stupid because of a willful rebellion, a willful ignoring a willful ignorance of God, His will, and His person. And it's because of sin. Sin. What would you say is the heart of sin? What, at, the down, at the very core of it, what is maybe the chief sins of all sins that is at the anchor of them all? Well, some would say pride. That might be it. That's a good, you can make a good case for it. Others would say the heart of sin in our lives is our unbelief in God. That's another good response. I love what Jerry Bridges says, though, in Respectable Sins. I believe, he says, that there is another sin that is even more basic, more widespread, and more apt to be the root cause of our sins. And that is the sin of ungodliness, of which we are all guilty of to some degree. Are you offended if I, would say, if I were to say to you, you struggle with ungodliness? Well, you do, and so do I. Does it surprise you to hear that you struggle with ungodliness? And you might say, what is ungodliness? You may attend church. You may serve, read your Bible, memorize the fighter verse, tithe. You may avoid scandalous sins and live a respectable life. But you can do all those things and be ungodly. Ungodliness and wickedness overlap, but they're not the same thing. Ungodliness can lead to a wickedness in our lives, as we'll see in the psalm. But I like how Bridges defines ungodliness. It's worth, I I don't have it out here. I wish I would have put it in the bulletin. But ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought about God or of God's will. Or of one's dependence on God. Ungodliness is the every moment of our life and our existence. The mundane things that we do. That we go about our lives with little thought or no thought about God. 
or living for His glory and depending on Him at all times. You see, ungodly people dismiss God in their lives, or at least they dismiss God in the the mundane, normal, and big portions of their lives. Ungodliness is a practical atheism. You know, we learned about atheism more from Dan last week. Atheism would be the belief that there is no God, that He doesn't exist. Well, ungodliness is the kind of thing that you might believe in a God. Oh, you might believe really well and pass a lot of good tests on, the, on, your, on, on a Bible quiz. But ungodliness is a practical atheism. It's living moment by moment as though God doesn't exist, as though you will not give an account to God in your life. God, it is, it is not taking into account that God made me and I, who is sovereign and loving and merciful and good. Now, godliness is just the opposite. It's living with the conviction of a deep and profound God consciousness. Oh, I love this book by Ted, uh, Paul Tripp called Parenting. And he says, parents, it is your job. You are to be one that seeks with all your might and heart to pour into your children so that they will have a God consciousness in all of their life. And then with a God consciousness, a God submission. How are you doing, parents? And how are you doing, grandparents? How are you doing, teenagers? And Anywhere in between, how are you doing in a God consciousness? He is always there, always around us, and living in such a way that you are seeking to please Him, obey Him, depend on Him, trust in Him, have self-control. You see, godliness, this God-awareness, God-consciousness, when we truly ponder what he has said and who he is and what he's promised to us should lead to the thanksgiving that we started with this morning. Humility over ourselves, contentedness in our lives, even though we're going through long and difficult trials. The ungodly live as though God does not exist. And they seek to please others and self in this world The godly know that God is here and he is our only true pleasure and knowing and being in relationship with him is our greatest pleasure. Now Dan already read our psalm, Psalm 14. I'm not going to read it all the way through, but I want to walk you through Psalm 14 because I believe that Psalm 14 hits at ungodliness. And I pray that God, as we've come to this passage, that God would challenge and convict us in a way, whether you are at a place where you are ungodly to the point where you have never truly had your heart transformed, forgiven, and you've been saved. Oh, we pray that God would Rock your world, per se. He would come and totally turn you upside down and transform your life where you move from self-centered, other-centered to God-centered in your heart through Jesus Christ. Or say you've been saved, and that's most of you, and yet you find yourself so often struggling with sin after sin, and at the very heart of it is God isn't big in your life. God doesn't dominate. The pleasing of God, the dependence on God isn't what triumphs in your soul. And it's choking you and it's leading to so much misery and dishonor to God. Well, let's look at this psalm. And I see four things about the fool. 
Because you see, the fool is the ungodly man. We see the fool assessed. We see the fool's fate. And we see the fool's salvation. Let's first look at the fool described. You see this in verse 1. Look, at me, look with me at verse 1. The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Do you see the psalmist's description of a fool here? He says in his heart, there is no God. Now friends, listen. When David was writing the psalm, there were no atheists or very few atheists in that Hebrew or ancient culture. They believed in some type of God. So he is not necessarily talking about formal philosophical atheists. He is talking about, note this, he says in his heart there is no God. He says to the very core of his being where the thing that makes decisions, the thing that's really important that drives us in his heart, he says he dismisses that God is significant or important in his life. And I'm, I'm afraid to say that even people that have prayed prayers and asked Jesus in their heart and been baptized and are part of a church, they can act so many moments of their life just like the description. Like there is no God for so much of their time. In this passage, the fool is ungodly. They say in their heart, God, you're, you are dismissed from my life. You don't matter. Your glory isn't relevant. I don't need you, and I will not give an account to you. They might not ever say that literally, but that's what's going on in the heart of the person, because it comes out in the decisions, in the way they live. Oh, do you do that? Maybe not on Sunday morning right now, but maybe hours before this morning and later today. What about when no one's looking? And do you know that God is looking? He never stops looking, and He wants you to please Him. What about with your spending? Or in your job? Do you work heartily as unto the Lord? I mean, Paul gives these sweeping statements. When you go to work this week, when you go to school, when you care for your children in the home, do it as unto the Lord, as though he's like they're watching. He's gazing upon you. And do it saying, I want to please you. You are all everything to me. And that is my mission and my goal. Now, what kind of people do that? It takes a miracle of the heart to make that to become the heart's desire. What about your marriage? Maybe in that marriage that your relationship is really difficult. Really difficult. What if the goal for that marriage or for your parents' relationship or the work situation that you have, or the difficulty in your life, the goal from God is not for you to have temporary, short-term happiness. But if you understood that God who loves you and is good and gracious, He is working things, and you that moment of difficult marriage, that moment and anything else, is an opportunity to please Him. Even more so because it's difficult. What if the happiness that really lasts comes as our hearts 
are anchored to love this God more and more. You see, the fool, he acts, God isn't there. He's not going to hold me to account. I don't have to live for him. I don't have an obligation to him. I don't trust in him. But we see here that the fool in this verse is described as this ungodly person. And I believe that David is not just talking about the pagan nations here. He's talking about people in Israel who would say they believe in Yahweh. But you see, the fool isn't just described there as that. He's also described as, as corrupt. He's doing abominable deeds. There's none that is good. This idea of corrupt means he's spoiled. When I say spoiled, not like we say, I spoiled my child. No, he's spoiled in that he's ruined like your spoiled milk. If you have a really bad gallon of spoiled milk, are you excited to use that milk? I know, I looked it up. You can use it to make buttermilk maybe, or you could use it for some sauerkraut or I mean I don't know what you'd use it for but it just sounds I I cook zero in our house but I'll tell you what I don't think anybody goes spoiled milk that's good I think I'm going to use that that's helpful no we say gross unusable pour it out in the bible's description of a person of the ungodly, wicked, is the fool, is described as ruined and broken. I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, that's all of us, apart from the grace of God. We are in this ruined, broken, corrupt. We are sinners down to the bones, down to the depths of our hearts. And because we're sinners, we sin. We do unrighteous deeds in Romans. I invite you to turn to Romans 1.18. Look at Romans 1.18. It says here that the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Look at verse 21 when you get there. For although they, he's describing mankind, including what's going on in, in Psalm 14, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They, God is all around them. Creation's all around them. He's blessed them and they ignored God and they went and did their own thing. We can do that as Christians. At the root of our sins, the root of our lusts can be we just ignore that God, we give an account to God. He says in verse 25 of Romans 1, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Oh, friends, we are all born into this condition, and we continue to struggle with the battle of a sin of ungodliness. We serve our money. We serve ourselves. We serve other people who will just let us down. We serve all these things as though they are our hope. They are our satisfaction. We could go and live our life this week with very little consideration in the motives of our lives to say, I want to please you and show you off even in the hard things. And I want to depend on you in everything because we're so prone to go this way, because we're prone to be like the fool that's described in here in our natural condition. Verse 29, it says, they are filled with all manner of righteousness, evil, covetousness. You say, oh, it must be really big bad sins. Well, he's going to go on and say envy. 
If you struggle with envy, I have. Murder, well, maybe not. you haven't done murder, but you've murdered in your heart. You've, you've hated people. Strife, deceit, maliciousness, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. David says, the fool says in their heart, in their heart, there is no God. What do you say in your heart? But not only do we see the fool described in this passage, but we see the fool assessed in the next section in verses two through four. Assessment. You want your financial situation assessed by the IRS? Doesn't sound fun, does it? Nothing compared to God's assessment to you. The psalmist gives us the assessment of God when it says, the Lord looks down. Look at verse 2, Psalm 14. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. This is a picture from Genesis 6, verses 5 and below, when God looked at the earth and he saw man. This is before he was going to send the flood. All he saw was Noah. Everyone else was wicked. In their intentions of their thoughts of their heart was evil continually. This is that language. And David says, the Lord looks down. He assesses. Do you know that he's assessing us? He looks and he sees your heart. He sees what's going on in your mind. He knows why you're here this morning. He knows if it's a good motive or a bad motive. He knows this week the words that you, you speak the actions that you do, if they are for God's glory or just for your own good, they know he knows this week whether you're trusting him or not. In this psalm, it says, they have all turned aside. Together, they've become corrupt. There's that word again. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all of the evildoers? Who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord. We don't have a lot of time to spend on this passage, but I want you to see what God is assessing and he's saying, he's saying, don't they have any knowledge? These people, they're fools. They might act like they're wise. They might be the philosophers of this age. They might be the people that have such a high IQ. They're making a lot of money or they're going after their own way. They have all these schemes and all these plans and they're the movers and shakers of this world or they're the poor of this world. They're ignoring me. Don't they have any knowledge? Why don't they call upon me? Verse four, they've all been corrupt. There is none who does good. You see in this, the assessment that God makes upon mankind, according to the psalmist here, is both quantitative and qualitative. Quantitative in that it's everywhere, all. There is not even one. There is no one who does good. And it's qualitative, meaning it's really, really bad because they don't acknowledge me. They do not seek after God. You do realize that if you're a Christian here today, this is not the point of the sermon today, but if you're a Christian today, it wasn't because you sought God first. You will never seek God unless He, in His mercy, seeks you out and graciously shows Himself to you. And pours out his mercy. Oh, everyone that, yes, I'm going to tell you, seek the Lord while he is near. Seek him. 
But know that this passage and many others, you will not seek Him. You are in your natural state seeking other things. You will never seek Him for His sake and for His glory unless He changes your heart. And this is the assessment of the fool according to David. And it's God's assessment that we are all rotten. Dirty, rotten scoundrels. Every one of us. And you know what? The standard is not... Well, I am better than my neighbor. I am better than the coworker. He's so foul. Oh, she's such a gossip and she irritates me. I'm way better than her. No, the standard of which God would say there is none good, no, not one, that standard is not our standard or any standards that anybody else would put on this. It is the goodness and the holiness of God that is the standard. You see, as I started this morning in our confession time, God's standard is that we love him with all our being and that we depend on him and trust in him and have faith in every aspect of our lives. And I'll tell you what, he assesses and says, none good, no one is always trusting in me. No one is always loving me and wanting to please me. And that leads to life of down the road, wickedness and corruption. Romans chapter 3 quotes this passage. In Romans chapter 3, I invite you to turn there, Romans 3 9. You can probably be in Psalm 14 in Romans because we're going to be a couple more places in Romans. Romans 3 says, as it is written, look at verse 9. We've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. It is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God, for God. All have turned aside, they have become worthless. He quotes other passages of Scripture in the Old Testament. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Now what he is describing, he's saying we are all sinners Look down to verse 20. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The measurement, the assessment that God will make before you feel really good about yourself and your performance, ask yourself, Are you looking at your own assessment or God's? And God says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Whatever is not of faith is sin, Romans 14, 23. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. But but not only do we see God's assessment in this psalm, the assessment of a fool, we see the fool's fate. Look at verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 14. The fool's fate. And when I say fate, I don't mean it's just in the stars and it just happens and there's... It, I, I, just, I mean that to say his, the consequence, the, the outcome of his foolishness. He has made a wrong calculation. He has believed that he could go and he could, he could lust, he could plunder, he could hurt... He could go throughout his life and and just ignore that God is there for conveniently for a while to do his own thing. 
He has not sought after God. He has not called upon God. Who does he think he is? He's so ignorant in his foolishness. Now, here's the fool's fate, verses 5 and 6. They, there they are in great terror. I believe that this is a kind of a prophetic vision. He's viewing them. They're in great terror. I see this fool in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. God is not with the fool. Oh, how horrible it is for a person to be in a place where God is against them and not for them. That is the worst, that is the most horrible, horrific situation you could ever be in. For God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. The poor, those that look to him. There is a great terror if God is against you. But if God is for or with the righteous, oh, you want to be, want God to be for you. Oh, th- this passage doesn't describe close to what many other passages described of the fate of the fool. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Oh, it is my job to plead with you as a church time and time again. To not live like the fool in this life. He is, as Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It is my job to plead with you to, to not act like practical atheists 95 or even 75% of your life or even 10% of your life, but to repent of it as sin and look to the only source of joy. I, I hesitated whether to give this illustration for or not something happened during covid we were playing bingo one night around the table and one of my sons was so excited because he was almost going to get to bingo he got bingo he yelled it out he fell backwards he was so excited and it then came forward and his mouth hit the table and it pushed his teeth in and it it hurt and it scared him because he couldn't i mean he couldn't breathe well and he was in terror and for just a few minutes I remember holding him and, and praying for him and praying that, and I remember the, the, both pain and the fear in, in my son's eyes. And I wrote down in my journal that night, and it, he felt better later. Thank God, and we went to the dentist to make sure it was good. It was, a, it was a, a glimpse in my own mind and heart to say, God, help me to pray Help me to work, help me to trust you, but to do everything I can so that I would, my children and my church, our souls would never have the little glimpse of both pain and terror that I saw in him is nothing compared to the horror of the fate of the fool. We will experience the utmost terror fear, horror, and pain everlastingly in conscious punishment. Second Thessalonians says that the fate of the fool, the fate of the ungodly that reject Jesus, Second Thessalonians 1.7, God will grant relief to those who are afflicted and are faithful in Christ when he is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance 
on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of His might. I shared that illustration of my son to say to us, there is a pain that is worse than any of the human pains that we have. Maybe God brings pains in our life to go, man, that's bad, I don't want that. I don't want that to keep happening. That would be horrible if that kept happening. No one gets saved because they're just afraid of hell. But God wakes us up and opens our eyes to say, I need help. And he brings us to a great, great answer that is way more than just running from hell. It's running to God. Now, I realize that I'm talking to the majority of you who are saved and rescued already and have assurance of that and have good reason to have assurance. But I believe that there are some that aren't there, either online or here. Or there are some of you that are here that are at a place where, oh, that you are saved, but you need this message to kind of wake you up, to say, I've been living way too much like the ungodly. God is far from my thoughts, far too often, and it shows in the course of my actions, in my conversations, and in my feelings, and in my habits, and in my spending, and in my way. You see, the fool's fate will lead to great terror and to great punishment, and God will vindicate the righteous and give them grace. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, Hebrews 10 says. There is no greater prospect than the hope of the godly, and there is no greater horror than the fate of the ungodly. But I don't want to leave you hanging over this pit of hell, of terror in the fate of the fool. I want to conclude by showing and pointing you to the fool's salvation. Pastor Daniel, in this text, I don't see the fool's salvation. Where's the fool's salvation? I see that they're in trouble. They're against God and they're going to receive the terror of God. Look at verse 7. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. Come out of, that was Jerusalem. He's saying when God would bring his promise when the Lord does what he promised, he's going to restore the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. Now, have you noticed in this passage that David said earlier, there's none righteous, no, not one? Is he just talking about the select, the pagans, the non-Jews, the non-Hebrews? Or is he... Is he talking about just unbelievers in Israel? Is he talking about the entire human race? As we saw in Romans 3, God said, Paul says, all Jew and Gentile are under this condemnation. There is none that does good. Everyone, no matter their background, their race, their color, their wealth, they're all born not seeking, not doing good, corrupt and bad to the bone. They might do good things trusting him. And yet, we find in this passage, there is a group, there is a category of people who are numbered with God's people who find refuge in him. They enjoy his salvation. 
He is the hope of the righteous. He, he is what, at verse 7, he's crying out and saying, oh, that salvation will come. He's going to restore the fortunes of his, his people. Who are his people? I thought he said all are unrighteous. All are under this horror. All are under this condemnation. I think that as we reflect further, not only with Psalm 14, but all of the Bible, including the New Testament that I've read to you this morning, that the righteous... God's people, the people who will get saved from the terror of God, they were once fools, like this man began, begins in verse 1. Abraham was a foolish pagan until God plucked him out and said, I'm going to make, I'm going to bless you, and he believed God. He was worshiping other gods according to the Bible. Same with David, Paul, Naomi, Ruth, Mary, all of them going the other way, and God plucked them out. You see, Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but it keeps going on, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, that God has put forth as a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. Friends, we were all corrupt. We were all in sin. We were all the fool. But by grace, God changed all of that. I see in this passage hope for fools. I see salvation for fools because you see all people that are saved are God's people that he's going to restore and bring grace to and are a refuge. They were in the category of the ungodly fool going their own way. And God in his mercy changed us. He, Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were, going, we were walking according to the world. We were following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that was in the sons of disobedience was in us. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved. Oh, all of us who struggle with being foolish and those that have gone the way of the fool to reject God completely, oh God in his mercy, calls out to us and says, calls out to you and says, repent. And if you believe me, my grace, my son died on the cross and if you will receive his gift, he will save you to the utmost. Paul writes to a struggling church in 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived that the sexual immorality, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What grace. But so were some of you. 
God if we come to him today and receive his grace. We come to him and he forgives us all. You see, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. What are you saying in your heart today? What, what is the voice in your mind that drives you, your desires, your motives? What are you saying when you get up? What are you saying in your heart when you have sex or when you're on your phone or when you watch TV or your favorite sitcom, when you go to work or school, cook meals, look to the future? When you post on Instagram, when you read a book or listen to a podcast or when you watch a movie or a YouTube video, when you ignore your Bible or when you forget to pray, what are you saying in your heart? I want to say to you, there is a God in heaven who's so glorious. He is wisdom for us fools. He is a family for us forsaken. He is the rescue to the ruined. He is the savior to those who are shriveled in heart because of, we've gone to false satisfactions all our lives. He made you and me to live every moment conscious of his presence and enjoying his grace and forgiveness that will never end. He offers us love and is provided to make us broken fools actually wise in the wisdom he provides. We never brag about it. We point to him. We do this by realizing and pursuing every moment and every opportunity, every word and action, every thought and motivation Surrendering them to God and saying, God, would you help me now to live with these two things in mind? God, help me to live to please you. That's number one. God, help me to please you, to glorify you, to live for you, to love you, please you. And God, help me to rely on you in everything. Help me to, so when I'm broken and weak, praise you because you help me see it because that's true and I need to grow in that. All that I get and all that I have comes from you. This devotion and dependence of the godly, the people that rely on him, the wise, that all is for those who are rescued from the folly of their sin. The horror of the fool is the default path for every human being and is breathtakingly appalling. And the hope of the repentant fool who is rescued by Jesus is astoundingly full and forever and has a future that begins gloriously now. Let's pray. Father.